Thank you for listening to our podcast. Make sure and subscribe so you can check in with us every week. We hope this message inspires you and leads you to a vertical life. Special day already, right? You know, when you, when, you, when you know some of the folks that are here and you know the stories, it just makes days like this even more special, amen? I was just uh, was kind of filled with uh, some emotion during our worship time even. Thank you, sir. Just thinking about... Uh, the lives that are here, stories that God is writing, and uh, what He's done in our lives. Amen? And that uh, it's moving. It's the life that He's called us to, to share life with one another. Uh, we're glad you're here today for the next in our Real Life series, our message today. It's a life that Jesus invites us to. It's a life that... Um, in its fullest, in its fullest dimension, the life that Jesus has for us is one that we lay down for others. Jesus didn't come just for us to say, boy, this is a really nice life I've got. He didn't come for us to be cul-de-sacs. You might ever grow up on a cul-de-sac yeah, some people did. Yeah, you drive down the cul-de-sac, you live at the end of the street, and that was it. No one else came through the cul-de-sac unless they were in the wrong place. You and I were not made to be cul-de-sacs. We're made to be thoroughfares of God's grace that help other people experience the reality of Christ. This series is all about that. It's what real life is. So there's some things we're doing to help drive home the point help understand what God has for us. One of those is a day that's coming up at the end of our series called uh, Big Catch Sunday. On Big Catch Sunday, there's a couple of things happening. One, I'll be answering the question, what are the biggest catches you could ever make in life? In this life, what are the biggest catches you could make? I'll be answering that question that day. We're also giving away a prize, a $100 gift card to the person that catches the biggest fish during the series. So you'll, what you'll do is you'll take that fish, you'll take a picture of that fish with you making a vertical V in the picture. That way we know it's from today, not from seven years ago that you caught somewhere else. Send it into that number right there, which is our church's cell phone number, and you'll be entered into the prize contest. So uh, Heather, Taylor, Nick, and I went out this week and I thought, you know, somebody needs to catch a fish and show it, you know, so you can at least know what you're up against, right? So I want to show you my great fishing expertise. I've told you that this look, though it looks like I'm a fisherman, is not, all right? I'm learning. I'm not a big fisherman. It's not my deal. I'm learning. So Nick took us out. Nick is our family fishing guy. So he took me to Walmart. I got my license for the year. Hadn't had one of those since I was probably 10. And so I said, Nick, I just want to fish simple. So get me a bobber and get me some worms. And he laughed at me. He said, respectfully. He said, I'm not using a bobber and worms. I'm using a lure. Okay, help yourself. I just want a bobber and some worms. So we went over to the pond near the Red Oak Municipal Center and started casting and thought we were making great headway. 
I mean, bites just right off the bat. I thought, whoa, this place is loaded. Give me another worm. Let's do this again. I need another worm. I need another worm. It just like, they just kept taking everything. Soon to realize this thing's full of turtles. You know, and they're just taking everything. So I made my way to another part of the pond where I didn't see as many turtles. Started fishing, got another hit, pulled it in. Look what I caught. There it is. I know it's hard to see. That little green spot on the side that looks like it's about seven inches long, that's my fish. There you go. So if you're looking for the competition standard, it's right there. Unless you beat that, I've got that $100 card, right? Now, now Heather came along too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's hard to see. I recognize that, but you start somewhere. Now, Heather came along and she, she had a valiant effort. Here's, here's Heather's fish. There you go. I think mine was a little bit bigger. Maybe it's just me. And then Taylor came along as well. Yeah. More valiant, more small. So there you go. That's what you're up against for the competition for this series. The other thing that we are, we're doing as we look forward to June 30th is that we are praying. We're praying for some people in our lives. We handed out this card last week. If you didn't get one, please stop by our guest services table on the way out today. Pick one up. What we're doing is encouraging everyone here at Vertical to pray for five people. People that you know that live in this area. People that you know could use some encouragement, could benefit from being in a good church and need to hear the gospel. Invite them on that day. Pray for them until that day. So this is our big catch Sunday. This will be your dream catch card. This is for you, each of us, to pray as we look forward to that day. Today our message is called Going All In for the Catch. There's something you got to know about fishing if you're going to go fishing. You, you really, if you're going to do it right, if you want to catch the big one, or if you want to catch a lot, you've got to know what it means to go all in. You got to be willing to get up early you got to be willing to get out in the water. you got to be willing to get your hands dirty. you got to be willing to spend a little bit of money. you got to be willing to sacrifice. you got to be willing to possibly deal with the snakes and turtles along the way. And you got to be willing to be patient. Those are not natural to me. None of those. So when I think about fishing and I think those are what comes with it, then I tend to think, ah, I'm just going to stay home. You see, I'm, I'm, more of this, I'm more of the convenience fisherman. I'm more of the, it's a hobby, as long as it doesn't cost me too much, doesn't get me too dirty and nasty, I'm, I'm the one that isn't willing to sacrifice a lot to go fishing. But if I don't ever learn to do that, I'll never catch anything. The same is true in being fishers of men. If you're going to be a fisher of men, you've got to know what it means to sacrifice you got to know what it means to get up early, stay up late, go where you don't normally go, do what you don't normally do. Be willing to get your hands dirty. You've got to be willing to go all in. Jesus makes a promise to us. If you'll follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I'm not a fisherman by trade. I'm willing to, to learn from Nick and some others about how to fish. But Jesus says... If you'll walk with me, Jesus said, if you'll follow me, 
I will teach you more than fishing. I'll make you a fisher of men. I will help you know what it's like to give yourself away to serve someone else so that they can experience the reality of Christ in their life. And Jesus says this is a process. This isn't something you just pick up one day. It's something you learn. And Jesus says, if you'll follow me, I'll help you accomplish that. Today we're going to see the lessons that God has for us from a man in the New Testament who began with the name Saul, but because God did a work in his life, he became Paul. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, chapter 9 today, 1 Corinthians 9. This is where we are. We're going to see what this man's story reveals to us, what he did, what he became, and who he was becoming. This man, Saul, was really, when we first meet him in Scripture in the book of Acts, we find that he's a guy who hates Christians. He's a very religious guy. He's a guy who knows the law. He's a guy who's always there when it's time to go to worship, when it's time to sacrifice. He's a guy that's kind of your religious perfectionist. He's got it down. He's done it. He's nailed it. But there's one thing he could not stand, Jesus. He was all about the law, but he was none about Jesus. He was all about being together with other Jews and the Pharisees, but he was none about followers of Jesus. In fact, he was filled with hatred, anger. He was, a, he was more than a zealot. He was almost in the category of terrorist because he would hunt, hunt followers of Jesus, arrest them, persecute them, and have them killed. And this man, one day, has Jesus appear to him on the road after Jesus has been resurrected, after Jesus has returned to heaven. He appears to this man, Saul, and this man was changed. This man began to be a lover of Jesus because his sins are washed away. This man began to be a lover of Jesus because he had forgiveness, because his life was radically transformed. And he became, though he had never been a fisherman, he became a fisher of men that day. He was radically changed. So as he begins this process of helping others come to know who Jesus is, as he begins this process of walking and following Christ, as he begins this process of helping others come to know who Jesus is, he starts to get attacked for it. He starts to get questioned for it. He starts to have some accusations lodged against him. Are you just doing this for yourself? Are you just doing this to try to prosper yourself? This is really just all about you. Who do you think you are? You have no business doing this. And so Paul spent some of his time trying to face down his accusers. And part of what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 9 today is just a little bit of his answer to them. Paul didn't like to have to deal with the accusers. It slowed down the process. It diluted the message. And what we're going to see today are some principles that he lived by that defined how he followed Jesus, how he made a difference in the lives of others, and the principles we're going to see today will apply to you if you are a follower of Jesus, a parent, a spouse, an employee, an employer, or one who's trying to make a difference for Christ. The principles apply across the board. So let's start 1 Corinthians 9. We're in verse 19. 
And Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Paul was consumed with winning the hearts of people and them coming to know Jesus. He was consumed with it. It had become his goal. He said, I don't have to be afraid of what others think because I have a mission. I have a purpose. And I have so set my course on this mission that I am consumed with it. It shapes everything I do. And the first thing he says, he says that I have made it my goal to win the more here in verse 19. To win the more. He was consumed with winning the hearts of people. It's really what it takes if you're going to make a difference for Christ, if you're going to be a a loving spouse, if you're going to be an effective parent, if you're going to make a difference in people's lives, if you're going to be a counselor someday, Caleb, if you're going to be an electrician, if you're going to be a teacher, if you're going to be whatever it is, if you're going to be in a line of work that involves relating to people, it starts with this, knowing how to win hearts. It really does. It all starts there. It starts at a place of knowing how to develop trust, of knowing how to understand people, of knowing how to communicate, of knowing how to listen, of knowing how to gain people's hearts so that they will listen to you. I'm afraid there are a lot of people today who've had some experiences with some churches or some Christians that have caused them to not want to listen to Christians anymore. They've been burned in such a way that they say, I'm done. I'm not interested. I've heard the story. I bought the T-shirt. Got burned by it. I'm out. If you want to make a difference, it starts with developing a heart of trust. That person you work with, that person you live with, that person you're parenting, that person you are employed by, If you want to make a difference, if you want to influence them, it starts with winning their heart. And Paul says, I have so set my focus on this that I've done what's necessary. I have made myself a servant to all. I've put myself in a position where I've made myself a servant to others. And I'll just go ahead and tell you the real word that's used there is something that we find difficulty with today. Servant is a much more cleaned up version. It's really the word slave. And that evokes all the wrong images for us. But Paul says, here's how passionate I am. Here's how committed I am. I'm putting myself in a position of a servant and slave so that I might win others. I'm letting go of my will, my comforts, my interest, my prosperity, my popularity, so that someone else can come to know the reality of Jesus Christ. This is what it takes. Paul said, this is not a weekend gig for me. This is not an add-on to my life. This is what I do, period. 
and I do it wherever I go. I make myself a servant, a slave to others that I might win the more. If you want to fish for men, if you want to make a difference, if you want to bring others into the kingdom, it starts here with a commitment to say, I will be a servant of others and I'll do the work. If it means getting up early, I'll do it. If it means being uncomfortable, I'll do it. If it means going where they are, I'm there. If it means knowing how they think, knowing what they're feeling, if it means getting my hands dirty, if it means sacrificing, I'm there. For me, when it comes to fishing, I'm probably not ever going to be a great fisherman because I'm not willing to do the work. But if you and I want to be fishers of men, we're going to have to do the work that Jesus called us to. Amen? It means some sacrifice. It means changing some things about ourselves. And Paul says, this is not a weekend gig for me. I'm intentionally doing something. I'm intentionally putting myself in a place to serve others, to put their interest ahead of mine, to gain their trust, to win their heart, so that they might hear the gospel, so that they might see God's ways lived out, so that they might be changed. Let's go on in the passage and we see how he did that. Verse 20, Paul says, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. In other words, Paul says, I come from a Jewish heritage. I know Jewish law. He said, and in order to reach those who were still Jews who did not love Jesus, who hated Jesus, he said, to do that, I did something. I didn't stand back and condemn them, criticize them, fuss at them. Instead, he said, in order to win them, I became like them. I became as a Jew. If you're going to win someone, gain their trust, it means you've got to become like. I don't mean compromise your convictions. I don't mean change your lifestyle to the point that you give up your commitments to God. But you do something valuable in the process. You learn to think and feel like them. You become as them. And Paul said, this really is not difficult for me. Because he had been a Jew, it was not difficult to put himself back in the place of a Jew. To put himself in the place where he knew what it was like to be under the crushing weight of the law. Where he knew what it was like to try to keep up a long list of to-dos in hopes that God would love him in hopes that God would bless him, to live in fear of a list of failures he had of them not being forgiven. Paul knew what it was like to get into that position. And so he said, to win them, I became as a Jew. I thought like them. I tried to feel what they felt. I got into their spot. I tried to get into their heart. I tried to put myself in their shoes. And that's really what it takes if you're going to fish for men. It's what it takes if you want to go fishing. I don't normally eat worms. But if I want to go catch some fish, I got to get some worms. 
because that's what they like, not what I like. I remember going fishing when I was in high school. I had some friends who wanted to go fishing. And again, I'm not the fisher guy. And they say, hey, here's what we need to get. It's this bag right here. It's called stink bait. This is what you need. What? Stink bait? All I had to do was open it up once, and I knew why they called it stink bait. I mean, you couldn't imagine. It, it's horrible. It smells. It's terrible. I'm like, who eats this stuff? Fish. They do. And if you want to catch fish, you got to learn to think fish. You got to learn to feel fish. You got to know what a fish likes. You got to know where a fish goes. You got to know what his enemies are. You got to know what his times of day are for eating. If you don't know those things, you won't catch fish. You'll find yourself out at the wrong time of day, in the wrong pond, using the wrong bait, and complain you hadn't caught anything. It's because you don't know fish. If you're going to catch something, you got to know something about them. You've got to understand them. you got to put yourself in their place. I'm going to tell you, these principles here, they apply across the board. They don't just apply in evangelism. They apply in communication as well. Spouses. When you're sitting across the table from one another and you can't figure out what in the world is going on, why is there conflict, why is this happening, what in the world is going on, you won't get there as long as you keep thinking about you. But the minute you start saying, I wonder, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what drove them to this place. I wonder how they got here. I wonder what's going on in their heart. I wonder what fears are there. I wonder what struggles are there. I wonder what pressures they're under right now. I wonder what their dreams are. I wonder what their hope is. You see, if you'll ever let that creep into your mind, if you'll ever let that settle in your heart, you'll notice something radical happen all of a sudden in your communication. Your heart will change for that person sitting across the table from you, and you'll all of a sudden find a way to connect because you all of a sudden learn to think fish. And stop thinking about you. There's really a lot that goes into this. Maybe more than you and I really realize. Parents, you want to understand your children? You want to try to figure out why your 8-year-old's doing what they're doing? You want to try to understand what that 17-year-old's doing? You're going to have to get into their world. You're going to have to go where they go, know what they know, listen to them, Ask questions, think what they're thinking, try to feel what they're feeling, and then something will happen. Your heart will change for them, and you'll find a door open. The sad thing is a lot of people don't want to do that work. We get caught up in our way. How come you don't think like I do? How come you won't do what I do? How come you won't talk like I talk? And then the wall goes up. Conflict continues and nothing changes. When you get to the place that you start asking some questions about that person at work, about that neighbor that you've got, and you start asking yourself, I wonder what it was like for them growing up. What was it like relating to their mom and dad? Did they have a mom and dad? Was dad always gone? Was mom loving or was mom mean? Did they have siblings? Where did they grow up? 
What did they go through? What traumatic events did they face? What could cause them to be where they are today? If you will do that work, and it's work, it's intentional, hard work, but it's what we're called to. If you'll do that work in your marriage, you'll win the heart of your spouse. If you'll do that work in raising your children, you'll gain the heart of your children. If you'll do that work in witnessing and relating to people in your community and people at work, you'll gain the heart of the people around you and you'll find an open door all of a sudden to make a difference in their life. Amen? You got to do the work. Knowing what they know, think what they think. Because there's a funny thing that's true. Everybody thinks that their way is right. Hello? Yes? Come on now. You do. You don't think the way you think. Make the choices you do because you think they're ridiculous. You don't do them because you think they're terrible. You've got your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions, because they all make sense to you. Hello? Come on now. And so does the person sitting across from you. As different as they may be, they are thinking the exact same thing. You're thinking they're crazy. You should hear what they're thinking about you. It's true. And if all you do is expect them to be like you, you're going to always have a wall. And Paul says, look, I wanted to help some people come to know Jesus. And so I had to do something. I had to get into their world. I had to step into their shoes. I had to take the time to try to imagine what they must be going through. What led them to this place. Because if you don't do that work, you won't catch fish. Now, Paul goes on in a fascinating set of verses here. Verse 21, he says this. He says, and to those who are without law, as without law. In other words, to those people who didn't know the law of God. They didn't grow up in a Jewish home. They didn't know the law. They just lived like they wanted to live. And their life was a wreck. Paul said, to those who are like that, I tried to become like that. But look what he says in parentheses. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. I didn't go out there and make a fool of myself. I didn't go out and start living a life of sin. But I lived, I put myself in the shoes of, I tried to understand, I tried to think like, I tried to imagine where they were, how they got to this spot, so that I could win them, so that I might win those who are without law. And I'm telling you, You'd have to know Paul to know why this is so remarkable here because Paul was the guy in school that everybody called teacher's pet. Paul was a guy that just nailed everything. He got it all right. He did everything perfect. And in fact, in the book of Philippians, he writes that. He says, look, I was the guy who really did everything right. He said, you know, I was a guy who was part of God's chosen nation. I'm, I'm from Israel. He said, I was so right and so good that when I was a baby, I was even circumcised on the day that the law said you're supposed to be circumcised. Like, Paul, you had nothing to do with that. But he used that to say, that's how good I am. He said, I'm so good, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. It's the tribe that was the most prestigious of all the tribes. 
He said, I, I was the perfect example of being a Jew, a Hebrew. He said, when it came to the law, he said, I knew it so well, I became a teacher. He said, when it came to passion, I was so passionate, I even persecuted the church. He said, when it came to keeping the law, Paul made this big boast. He said, I was blameless. Dude, that's some pretty big statements to make. And Paul said, this is who I was. And so for Paul to say, I was so desperate for people who lived without the law, he said that I became like them. How in the world, Paul? You didn't grow up like that. You don't even know what that's like. But Paul says, I was so, so passionate. I wanted to know. So I put myself in their shoes. I tried to imagine what that was like. I tried to feel what they were feeling. I tried to imagine what they thought about God, what they'd heard, what they'd grown up in. He said, and as I did it, it began to do something for me. It changed me. It changed how I thought about them. My heart actually began to break for them. This is what you do if you want to win someone. You've got to put yourself in their shoes. You've got to become as. You have to know them. He goes on in verse 22 and he says, And to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. Again, Paul was clueless as to what it meant to be weak. Paul was the power-hungry religious CEO working his way to the top, get to the top, manage it all, have it all, do it all. He's that guy. He's a guy who hadn't really ever known weakness. And Paul says, I wanted to reach out to the weak. I wanted them to know about Jesus. He said, so I became as weak. I, I put myself in a place where I could know what they know, feel what they feel. You might be in one of those spots today. You might think, you know, I, I'm not really a person that's ever uh, struggled with insecurities, uh, fears. And that's just not me. Look, Paul was so passionate that he put himself into some places in his mind and his heart that were not him. He said, I, I want to I reach them. So I'm going to put myself in a place where I try to imagine what would it be like to have insecurities, to fear people, to always be thinking that they're talking about me, to be in a situation and have to wrestle with panic attacks, to be in a situation where I'm the one who didn't do well in school. I'm the one who didn't do well at work. I'm the one that's the outcast. I'm the one that's rejected. I'm the one who hides away from others. Paul said, I'm so passionate for them to know that I put myself in their shoes. I tried to feel what they felt, know what they know. I tried to be like them. All so that I could win them. Then Paul makes this statement that I just I haven't been able to get past this week. He says, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save 
some. Look how many times the word all is used here. I have become all things. He said to the people who are weak and deal with insecurities, fears, rejection, doubt, I have intentionally put myself in their place. I've tried to feel with them, hurt with them. Imagine what caused them to get to that place. All so that they could be one. So that I could have a conversation with them. So that I could relate to them. So that they would hear me. He said, I put myself in that place. I've become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. All things, all men, that by all means I might save some. Do you know what's not in this verse? Any limitations. Paul didn't say, well, I'll go, but not to that group. Well, I'll go, but I won't do this thing. Well, I'll go, but I'm only going to do this much. You don't see that here. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. That I might understand where they are. That I might gain their heart. We might have a conversation together. That I might step across the room. That I might step across that awkward conversation spot and get there that I might go where they are and not expect them to come where I am, that I might be the one who takes the first step so that by all means, some might be saved. Now, I just want to talk to us for just a moment here as those who live in these communities right here. Stay with me. Don't miss the full conversation we're about to have. Sometimes as believers in this area, we may be tempted to think that those who need the greatest amount of ministry are the ones who don't have food, clothing, or houses. It's tempting for us to think that. They do need ministering too. But there's something about us living where we do that if we're not careful will make us think that because someone has food and nice clothes and a car and a house that they don't need ministering to, that they kind of are set. Are you with me so far? But just because someone has food, cars, clothing, houses, does not mean that they have Christ in their heart does not mean that they don't need ministering to. In fact, some of the ones who have all of the outward trappings 
are the ones who are missing the greatest internal blessings because they trust in all that stuff. And they're our neighbors. They're the people we work with. And they look like they're not starving, like they're not naked, like they're not homeless. But if you listen long enough, if you hear their stories, if you begin to hear what's going on in their lives, when they talk about the fighting that they have in their marriage, when they talk about all the confusion about parenting, when they talk about the lack of peace in their heart, when they talk about what they're addicted to, when they talk about their pleasures and then they're staying up all night and, and being a part of drinking, when they talk about all they're working to try to just stay away from home, when they talk about all that stuff, when they talk about all the confusing things that they say about God and it becomes pretty obvious they have got some mixed up ideas. You can know in that moment, they are starving. They are naked and they are homeless in their heart. And those are the people that you and I most often come in contact with because they live next door. They live across the street. They're at the desk across from you at work. And you see them at the store. And it's easy to see some people not like us, not doing things like us, to look at them with critical eyes, with judgment, with separation. And Paul says, I had those same people. I had them all around me. He said, but here's what I did. I became like them in, try, in order to try to win them. I tried to think what they thought, feel what they felt, put myself in their shoes. I didn't compromise what I believed. I didn't turn away from what I believed in and what I did. But I tried to understand them. Because if I could win their heart, then I knew I'd win an open-door conversation about who Jesus was and what he did for me. This is how you fish for men. You know what fish do. You know where fish go. You know what fish like to eat. And you do what they need. I've got some friends here with us this morning. They are um, they're in the place they were designed to be. They're enjoying life right now. They were made to be in water. You and I weren't made to live in water. They're made to live in water, though. They're doing what they were meant to do. They're living the life. This is real life for them. Now, let's just imagine for one moment. We don't have to imagine. But let's take them out of their world. Let's take them out of what they know. Let's take them to this place. This is not where they were meant to live. In fact, this fish is dying. If something doesn't happen soon, this fish is going to die. He's not in the place of life. He needs to be rescued. 
Someone needs to do something because what he needs is to go here and find the life he was made to live. Amen? Now, here's a funny thing that just happened in the room. You all of a sudden got very emotionally attached to that fish. <laughs> right? A little bit of nervousness crept in. A little bit of tension crept in. Is he going to pick him up? Is he going to let him die? Is he going to leave him there? And you were relieved when he got back in that water and that he didn't float upside down on the top. He's swimming. He's okay. The sad thing is for us, we get emotionally charged about a fish out of water, but we don't care about the neighbor next door to us in the same way. With that same and even greater passion, you and I ought to be broken, nervous, tense, move to action for the ones that you know in your life who are desperate, who are hurting, who need life. You and I are called to be fishers of men. Know them. Understand them. Let your heart break for them. And seek to win their heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning we are uh, we're broken over the fact that while we were out of the place of life, it, you came and rescued us when there was no way that we could get into the life that you had, you came and you rescued us. You set us free. And Lord, we are also broken because we quickly admit we don't have that same kind of compassion and passion for others. I pray you will continue to break our hearts over that, that you'll change how we see people that you'll change how we interact, that you'll make us a people who are moved at others' hurt, moved at others' pains and losses, and moved at their desperate need for knowing you. We'll follow you, and I know you will make us fishers of men when we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love today's message from Pastor Brian. Today and every day, we need to go all in to make the catch and for His glory. We'll see you next week live at 1030.